Welcome to the Armada Podcast with your hosts, Kalorn. I'm going to Adar Lando, and then he's going to hit you in the squad phase again, and I'm going to kill a your flotilla, and there's literally nothing you can do about it. Fox Omega. We're, we're going to talk about Separatists pretty much this whole episode, so if, if listener, if you don't care about Separatists, continue listening, because we still have hot takes at the end. And Armchair Jedi. I think that there are certain play styles that need that rogue element to it, right? And now, the Armada Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Armada Podcast. I am, for one, super excited because it is our special CIS episode, World's Edition. And with us today, we have our special guest, Damon, who competed at Worlds, ended up getting 13th place overall at Worlds, which is freaking spectacular. The top placing Separatist player uh, in the tournament, uh, also known as Xantos on the discords. And you guys know that he gives us a lot of um, grief over our mannerisms. So it's fun to have him on the podcast. And uh, I think at this point, I takes over. I, I wrote I wrote the agenda, not Dantos, just so we're clear. <laughs> right. Normally I write that I normally I write the agenda, but my uh my life has been a little uh crazy. So yeah, this is Kellorn's agenda, not Xantos's, no matter what he ends up saying throughout the podcast. So uh Xantos, how are you doing, man? You doing all right? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here. Uh the agenda thing is just what they want you to think, guys. Uh it's all mind tricks, you know. No, sent it over before subliminal no. messaging. <laughs> Don't do that. No, no, you're going to no. give everyone the wrong idea, and they're going to believe you. You can't do that. No, Fo- uh, Fox is Twindary. My trick to work on him. <laughs> I, so, uh, Damon, I, I have to ask you, like, what possessed you to do like the the parody thing that you do of us in the, the podcast channel? Because like that whole thing like came out of nowhere. I honestly, the first one, I was just super bored at work. Um, I like writing stuff. Uh, I have an English degree for some reason. Um, and I was just super bored at work and there was no episode. And I was like, Hmm, I wonder if I could write something. And so I just started making a bunch of like one liner jokes about what I imagined you guys would say. Uh, and then people thought that was pretty funny once I posted it. So I made a couple other, you know, longer jokes, it was pretty brutal. Purple, which is awesome. <laughs> it was pretty brutal. Um, cause it was mostly accurate. But you brought it on yourself, right? If there was an episode that week, he wouldn't have done this, and, no, and it wouldn't right. have been a thing, right? Yeah. So, no, lessons that's learned. That's, that's on us, honestly. So, uh, well, here's the deal. So, this is going to be a Separatist-focused episode. Last week, we had Nick on, uh, Unskilled First Officer, to talk about the state of GAR. Uh, this week, we've got Xantos on, the top-placing uh, Separatist player at Worlds, and we're going to go through... Uh, what we think the state of the CIS is. Everybody who listens to the podcast regularly knows that I am a separatist main. And so we're probably going to have a lot of in-depth or fun discussion about where we're at. Because I think Xantos and I talked about this uh, during Worlds to a degree. And I think we have some similar and some uh, opposing opinions. So this might be a really good discussion for the overall state of the game. But before that, We have to unveil what is at the core, the deepest essence 
of of Xantos through the official Armada podcast interview. So, sir, if you are ready, I have questions for you. I'm all set. Go for it. Can't Number wait one. to reveal my deepest, darkest secrets. <laughs> yeah, because these these questions go so deep. They cut so far down into the core of your being. I'm going to start with this one. And some people I've made, they, they have wept at just the prospect of answering this question. Number one, how long have you been playing the game? Uh, Math-wise, it's about two and a half years. Uh, I started right before Wave 9. Uh, I don't remember what the meta was at that point, but it was a decent bit after Onager and Starhawk had come out. But before we knew that Wave 9 was a thing, um, I was just looking for online games to play with my friend. Saw the TTS mod because it was like, I literally Googled like Star Wars board games and it was that and like Rebellion. And I was like, well, this looks cool. It's got plastic spaceships. You know, maybe if it's cool, I can get some of the in-person stuff, played my buddy. Uh, he didn't stick around, but I did. Uh, and then eventually, a couple months later, they announced CIS and Republic. And I was like, that looks awesome. I'm definitely going to keep playing this. So, and here we are. What? So you got, oh my gosh, let me rewind here. So you got top 10 in the Vassal World Cup, correct? Uh, I was top 10 in round three. Once I lost to Relent, I got knocked back down. Oh, okay. That was my second Vassal World Cup. I got destroyed my first year. I didn't even make it out of pods. Good Lord. So you did that well. And then second place in Endor. And then, um, and now here you are, 13th place at World. Bro, what a spectacular beginning to you playing Armada. Like, honestly, that such a good job. Holy cow. Yeah, uh, I know Vladdy and the maker of the TTS mod started recording stats. And I think that summer, uh, just like one of the first summers I had to you know, play the game, I wasn't in school, I racked up like 60 or 70 games in a couple months just because, you know, online you can play whenever. And so I was just playing the heck out of it because it's a super fun game, right? And there's so many different like lists and builds you can play. Like I was trying all, uh, well, at that point, all three different factions that I played, uh, Rebels, Empire, and CIS. So I was never like stuck in a row with anything. It's a super fun game. I'm still super excited to keep playing. Even now, like uh, the new Hoth tournament started up and I've got like three different variants of the list I'm taking right now. I love this game, man. God dang. All right. Well, fantastic. What would you say is your play style? I like ships and I like to go fast with those ships. Um, but I don't like super precision fleets. So I don't do like CR90 MSU swarm. Like if I'm going to do an MSU, I typically take a bunch of hammerheads with Task Force Organa or something similar to that, where I can just shove them up my opponent's face, blow up whatever their biggest ship is, because I can always blow up their biggest ship uh, and then, you know, fly away and see what happens when the dust settles. So typically that takes the, f- the, the form of like, you know, four ship with a large, maybe a medium, a couple smalls. Uh, so for, you know, Empire, it's ISD or Onager. For Rebels, it's usually a Liberty, although I did a couple of Akbar things with Assault Frigates. And then CIS, I mean, you know, it's a Patriot Fist with a tanky muni. For sure. We'll get to that in a second. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, if you could give advice to the you starting the game two and a half years ago, what would it be? All right. So there was a period where I was playing vader because you know he's awesome and does dice fixing and is totally an amazing commander right um and i was flying two almost naked onagers with two architons and you know i eventually moved away from that but i would tell myself 
hey, that fleet's actually really good. Just put Intel officer on the onagers and engine techs and play that a bunch and you'll be like way better. Just keep practicing that fleet, I swear. It's really good. Instead, I moved on to, you know, Simon, whatever, which is obviously not nearly as good. So this this is really hyper-specific advice. And also that list sounds horrific to face. Oh my gosh. I think that's probably- It was actually a really funny match. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, there ahead. was a funny match where I was playing a guy with a single onager and I just misplayed it so terribly because, you know, I was a new player. Uh, and his onagers rolled up and killed the one with Vader on it. So then the second one had no dice fixing and rolled like <laughs> two damage out of its front. And he killed the other one, and I was like, hold on, your one honor just beat my two? This list sucks. <laughs> I think that was the moment I moved on. Dang, man. Maybe Vet Gunner's on there, too, just in case, you know? But golly, that's that sounds awesome. Um, okay. Cool, cool, cool. Well, let's get started, then. So we have... We're, we're going to talk about Separatists pretty much this whole episode. So if, if listener, if you don't care about Separatists... Um, Continue listening because we still have hot takes at the end. So uh, don't don't go anywhere. But the first thing we need to talk about, because we, we talked about this last week with the commander spread at Worlds. Um, something interesting happened within the Separatist faction where we entered the tournament proper, Worlds proper, with 11 Martuk fleets. They tied for the most popular commander. And only one of them ended up making it to day two. Uh, there were, uh, there were, let me see for commanders. Yeah. We're about to go over that. I'm sorry. I'm reading something that I shouldn't be reading right now. Um, so what we, I think the first thing we need to talk about is wh- what is the state of separatist commanders right now? Uh, Xantos, from your perspective, wh- where, where are we at? Well, the most important stat, and I'm sorry, I would need to take away armchair Jedi's job for a second is that there are zero Dooku's in the Battle for Hoth. What the heck? I worked so hard, and people decided, you know what, Raid is good, so let's take the Separatist Raid Commander, TF-1726. There's five of those guys. Um, Jokes aside, uh, I think, I mean, Martuk obviously is still super popular. Um, I think TF is pretty popular. And then Trench and... I, I want to say Grievous is also near the bottom, but I've seen a couple of fun Grievous lists floating around. I think people are figuring out that Grievous with the medium squad ball can do some serious work. But yeah, it seems like Trench, I mean, you don't even see him anymore. If people are doing squads, they're either trying Dooku or they're trying um, some weird Martuk or Grievous list. Uh, but yeah, I still think it's pretty much mostly people want to play Martuk, they want to play TF, they want to add some dice. And then maybe they'll give the other ones a shot if they're feeling like some kind of weird jank thing. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I, there's there's this weird obsession with adding dice um, for players in the Separatist faction. And I get it. Like, it's really cool to roll more dice. And I, I think, though, the problem is, and, and Xantos, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but what I found playing a lot of Dooku and playing Kraken, I played a good amount of Kraken. You played a lot of Kraken, and now you're playing a good amount of Dooku. Um, the dice pools for Separatists are honestly already pretty great. Like as far as the the size, the, the general amount of dice that you're rolling, I don't often find that I need that much more dice to push me over the edge. Like I think I can I can stress tokens or apply enough pressure as it is already. I don't need the additional red dice. Do you think that's 
that's close to accurate, at least in your experience? I would say definitely in my experience. I mean, the weakest part uh, besides the Gazanti, which we can get into later, uh, is obviously the hard cells, right? With their one die out the side, only three out the front. But three is a really solid like dice packet, especially if you get all three be showing damage. Because like, what are you going to do against three damage? Brace it to two? Great. So you spent your brace on one damage. You're doing great. I'm sure you'll be really happy about the next, you know, five pools of three damage. Uh, but... And Martuk, right? I mean, pushing it to four, four isn't that huge of an improvement, especially if you can't guarantee four damage showing. Like, if you're rolling four red dice, you're probably still only going to have three unless you get lucky. Um, and then on the side, you know, two is actually really nice. I think that's where Martuk can really shine is when you're pushing those double arcs, you know, from munis or from hard cells, and then finishing up with a big die pool, you know, either again from a munificent front or from a recusant. And then TF, I think TF actually really shines with either the Gazantes or the hard cells, where you can take that really small one die pool and then add one or two blacks to it and all of a sudden make it, like, you know, if you're rolling one blue and then a black and the black's a double, that's three damage out, you know, the side of a Gazanti or the side of a hard cell. If it's red, that's ridiculous. Um, but yeah. if you have Kraken and you're just putting in the consistent damage, like, it's not an issue. I mean, you know, they're hard cells. They got Brace, Evade, Redirect, they'll survive. You've got presumably a Patriot Fist, because everyone brings a Patriot Fist, hammering from long and then coming in with a bunch of damage to the double arc, like 10 die double arc. That's nuts from an 85 or 90 point ship or, you know, even a Providence. I know people like to poo poo the Providence, but I had a lot of success with it with Kraken, you know, just IF Kraken, your dice are going to be great no matter what. And it tosses 11 dice on the double arc plus Salvo plus X racks. If you're running that, like ships will die. Like I said, like I said, my play style, like killing a bunch of the big ships. I have never seen a ship I can't kill with CIS even without, you know, Martuk or TF. So, yeah, I, I think that was excellent points. I think the problem that in Keller and this might be um, what you've innately landed on as far as your hate for Martuk. But I think defining what Martuk does in terms of brace brackets is an excellent way to understand why he he doesn't really push the ceiling of potential damage for separatists far enough. Um, I, I think talking about the side arc of a, a hard cell is great. Um, the problem I found with, with side arcs on hard cells is often by the time you're in a hard cell side arc, uh, you've already lost shields. Uh, or the or the ship that you're shooting at has already lost its shields, and so you might already be at the point where you're at the drawback for Martuk, and so now the the side arc does nothing. That's the only thing that I would I would say now. And on the flip side, TF, uh, it, it didn't it didn't really occur to me, but that's exactly what the black dice do better. I think is the potential to get into another brace bracket with one or two, especially with two black dice is huge so uh i mean this might be um what we've innately known like in the back of our minds but it's an excellent way to kind of put it on paper and say this is why this is why Tuke isn't really yielding the results or the benefits that you would you would expect him to have honestly so i do want to say in martuk's favor he does really help a lot against a lot of kiting fleets or, you know, fleets you want that are want to stay at long range. I'm thinking of quasars that are going to try to skirt around or Kraken CR90s who, you know, without Martuk or some other fashion of adding dice will completely ignore 
just those pot shots you're taking because it's three dice, you know, from a hard sell or muni side, and it's going to be obstructed because it's cracking, and then they'll evade it and take, like, one damage and then, you know, laugh at you as they send three back with their TRCs, right? Uh, so Martu can really help equalize it in that matchup, but I will say that, you know, a hard sell side arc or getting a muni side arc with the salvo is exactly why I haven't taken Martu to any tournament except for the ITC where I could kind of control matchups a little bit because I've played against so many Martukes where they set up their kill box and I've slipped past it, you know, with a couple of hull left and then they just can't finish you off because you've got no shields and they're canceling dice and it's like one damage coming at a time that you can evade or just repair. So so with all this being said, um, I, I want to g- reference episode 18 of the podcast. We did our our CIS commander ranking and our aggregate commander score ended up being thusly. At number six, we had Trench. At number five, we had TF. At number four, we had Grievous. Number three was Martuk. Number two was Dooku. And number one was Kraken. And again, this is aggregate. So a lot of this had to do with um, how highly, like on average, well, that's how it works. But, um, you know, of course, I rated Dooku very, very highly. And Kellorn rated Martuk very, very poorly. Um, how do you feel about... Now looking back on on this lineup that we've got, how, how do you think the commanders stack up right now? I mean, obviously Dooku should be number one, right? Thank you. Based on there results. It is. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> I think that's all I needed you to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll shut up now. Uh, I mean, I still think it's a fine ranking. Um, the only issue is that I don't think we've seen a lot of Kraken data. I don't think anyone had him at Worlds, did they? No, no Kraken. That's fleets. a perfect uh, armchair. Stay in your lane. The, the, the world's data. Yeah. So, I mean, perfect question. We did take a look at um, 38 lists, top four lists from pre-Worlds major tournaments. Uh, and then we got the 47 from the LCQ and the 80 from Worlds. So I did a quick look at that. And there were as many Trench and Kraken admirals across all those tournaments as there were CIS fleets in the World Championship final. Zero. Uh, about to say, wait, that that's none. Zero. Nobody. Oh, nobody. Oh, no. Now it's not exhaustive, right? Like there, there's people out there taking trench, and um, and taking kraken. They just haven't placed highly in the pre worlds tournaments that we looked at, and of course, nobody nobody brought them to LCQ and worlds. No, I think I think the big problem here is with trench in particular. People found one good formula for him. Good. I'm going to emphasize just good, not great. And uh, like with, with trench squads. And that's now what he's associated with. And it sucks because I think there's a lot of things that he can break the mold with. And we're not seeing it. I think Kraken has a lot more opportunities. Um, But again, like we're, we're not seeing like a lot of breakout performances. I think the... The Kraken Streakers has a lot of promise, but not a lot of people are taking the chances of, of bringing that fleet. So, uh, man, this is tough. This is really tough. What what is what is a Kraken Streaker? The Kraken Streakers? You never heard of them? No, I have not. And 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 for those of our audience members who haven't heard of it either, please elaborate. Oh, goodness, yeah, it's a it's a MSU style Kraken fleet where you're mostly bringing uh, hard cell transports, just absolutely naked. And the idea is Kraken only fixes one die, right? Well, the front 
the front whole zone of a, of a, tra- of a transport is two reds and a blue. Well, the blue is always going to have something on it, right? And odds are one of your red dice are going to have something on it. So Kraken, it's, it's the perfect array of dice out that front for Kraken to do his thing as best as he possibly can. Um, and when you've got, you know, four of those bad boys and then a Patriot fist behind them, it gets real dicey really quick. It, it's a very, very potent fleet. Um, Apropos, what was that a dad joke? Yeah, I was going to say that was a, was a very dice, wow. dice dependent joke. What did I say? I said, said a dice you get joke? All those Kraken sh- ships, you come flying at you. Things get really dicey. Oh, I did say that. Things do you get did. dicey. Dice fixie. Yeah. That, that would have been better. But in retrospect, now it sounds dumb. Um. Anyways. Oh. So there was one point I wanted to make here, and I wanted to get your, your opinion on it, Fox uh, and Damon, is one of the things that we see in some of the other factions is that Commanders are often used as a way to shore up defense. So things like a gate or Kraken or Riken um, or Mahdi or, you know, JJ, uh, some of the, the Imperial admirals aren't necessarily quite as defensive minded, but they'd use things to make them move around. Whereas I feel like the options, your options for defensive admirals in the CIS are limited to essentially Grievous and Trench if you're going to go with the full repair dial version of trench and neither one of those really feels like it gives you a, as much competitive advantage as the defensive admirals in the other factions. And I'm kind of wondering how much of that has to do with why people chose not, or weren't able to get as far in worlds or able to get to the final day. No, I think excellent question, sir. Um, so I think one thing that people get wrong about Dooku is he actually is a fairly defensive commander in that I can control activation order. I can prevent you from turning as hard as you'd like. I can get out of arcs really quickly because you can't spin them around or I can activate first. So in a non-obvious way, Dooku is actually a very, very defensive commander. Uh, also preventing squadron commands or, th- you know, those types of things. I think you're right in that Grievous and Trench, I think maybe they fall into the wayside because of this, like, this bright, shiny thing that is TF and and Martuk. And I think a lot of, I think a lot of the defensiveness of the Separatist faction can be achieved through upgrades or what chassis you choose. Um in spite of the commander. So I think that's probably why a lot of people have gone that direction. Damon, do you think that's similar? Like the, my, my, my point about Dooku, is that, is that similar to your experience? I mean, I was basically going to say the same thing. Yeah. Dooku, especially in those early rounds is, I mean, I use it very offensively, obviously to dart in, but it's also very defensive in that manner uh, where you can just kind of predict your opponent a lot better because they're so much restricted and what they can do in those first couple of rounds when you're tossing out the raids. So, I mean, you can just, like you said, nip in and out of arcs or stay at range longer or dart in and, like, pick things off because you're forcing activation order. Um, that was actually one of the big reasons I had sensor team on my Patriot Fist was like, so I could concentrate fire and then one shot a, you know, flotilla at range. And then all of a sudden they're down in activation. Usually that flotilla is either passing crucial tokens or activating crucial squads, right? 
So then if they're trying super hard to protect that flotilla, well, then they're not protecting, you know, their actual big ship. I also want to say we've seen a couple Martuk fleets where it's like almost the inverse of what Kellen was talking about, where they spend all of their upgrade points on defense, you know, protection experts, PDIC, thermal shields, beast of burden, uh, parts resupply. And then the Admiral is what brings the offense for them, right? Except for, you know, a couple upgrades on Patriot Fist. So an interesting way of viewing defense. Uh, but yeah, I kind of agree with Kalorn. It sounds like a lot of offense or, you know, odd effects like Trench and Duke were not exactly explicit offense effects in CIS. So yeah, I think we should get a gate so we can put that on the recusant. Oh, what? No, I did not expect that to go that direction. <laughs> That sounds like an awful Can you idea. imagine, though? It'd be so no, nice. No, no. <laughs> a gate on a Patriot Fist? Jesus Listen, Christ. Rapid Reinforcements 3. We'll just name it some droid, right? TF a gate, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yes. Well, let's... AMG said they want yeah, cards yeah. that change what is good. People think CS is all about offense, so we get a defensive admiral, like a gate. Bam. I mean, you, you say that, but I mean, I could see a Wat Tambor admiral that did something along those lines, which might be really interesting. Maybe like you can start the game with just no shields on, but your whole value goes up by like however many shields you. Does that sound crazy? <laughs> yes. Just a hard sell with 15 hull running yeah, around. Exactly. There it is. You can distribute like it however you want. <laughs> The other Martuk fleet is so sad. They're like, I'll never kill this thing. It's impossible. <laughs> oh. Well, let's let's talk <laughs> about... Was, sorry, I got sidetracked, yeah. Let, let's talk about squads. I think that was... Uh, it's been a hot-button topic for Separatists for a while. Uh, unless, unless... Does anyone else have any, anything to say about Commanders? I think we kind of nailed or, or talked a lot about um, the, the different topics within Commanders. The, the um, only thing I wanted to mention about Commanders... Um, like Grievous, we didn't see any Grievous pre in the top of the pre-worlds. We didn't see any at the LCQ, but um, he was the second most popular CIS Admiral on Worlds Day 1, and there were three of them. Um, the top finisher finished in 26, made it to Day 2. And then uh, TF, like uh, like Xantos was saying there, has had, um, it sounds like a surge of popularity in 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 the Battle of Hoth fleet, uh, but there was one in the LCQ and two at Worlds. Yeah, I just want to add that I'm super excited to go back and get back to Kraken. One of the reasons I tried out Duke was just get a break from all my Kraken fleets because I felt like I had exhausted my chances at that point. Not my chances, my different fleets. Uh, and now that I've had that break, I've got a whole bunch of ideas. So I'm really excited to kind of look into a lot of the fleets people have been building in the meantime with CIS and try out some of those admirals that aren't, you know, the super popular ones. I've I've sent some fleets that are not Dooku to some people for like opinions and they're like, what are you doing? Like you're the Dooku guy. I don't understand what you're trying to achieve here. And I'm like, I'm trying to achieve flying something other than Dooku. And they're like, well, don't. Who's going to, who's, <laughs> you can't yeah, do that's that. the problem. Who else is going to fly Dooku? I took <laughs> one tournament off and all of a sudden there's zero and off. I know. Yeah, and you're right. And there's two other Garms. Like, geez. Yeah. There's two Garms? There's two other Garms on the okay. third one. Well, I should be embarrassed. That's, ugh. Okay, anyways, let's move on. Let's talk about Separatist squads. Um, I think the big question here, I've talked a little bit about 
why squad why separatist squads are potent at what they do and often people get their usage and their advantages kind of mixed or or like they don't really understand uh, entirely how to use them properly and i've i've put my spiel on separatist squads on the discord over and over and over again um let's talk about that why aren't they doing as well as maybe we would like them to. I mean, they're not even showing up. Like, what's going on with separatist squads? I, I think that the, the the problem with uh, the separatist squads, and I was thinking about this the other day, uh, Fox, is that you, what you really, really want to do with separatist squads is that you ha- want to have a whole bunch of them. You, you want to take a whole bunch of generics and just kind of bury your opponent under the weight of those generics and how good using an AI dice to get either a blue or a black is. Yet at the same time, they just struggle to push them in an efficient manner. So you, you don't really have an, an option for a ship that gives you a really decisive alpha strike. You don't really have an option for a ship that can kind of like your best option for like a ship that can hit hard and do uh push squads is either one of the, the, the providences or uh, the support recusant. I feel like they need something along, not necessarily exactly like a quasar, but something that's cheaper that is just focused on pushing squads so that they can take advantage of, I'm going to bury you in like six squads this turn or seven squads. Like, a Yularen, uh, you know, Venator two can do. And it just, it, it bugs me that the Gar faction has a way to push seven squads and the CIS doesn't. Not to keep stealing the stat line as well, but I looked at the preliminary stats. I think Ferrix compiled them. So thank you to him. Shout outs on the discord uh, from Hoth and CIS average squads, something like barely over 30, whereas other faction is averaging at least like 50 or 60 points in squads. Uh, which I think is pretty telling about how we view squads in the CIS. Uh, totally agree with what Kellen was saying about activating. It's just so rough because once you have either a Patriot Fist or a Providence, right, your big pusher, what else are you going to add? You can't have a second one. That's your only other activation. So you're going to add, what, the tank community you can push two, the most expensive flotilla in the game that can push two, three with a token because you're probably going to slap tykes on it if you don't have it on the Recusant. It's rough to push them all. And then a lot of other factions are moving towards tankier squads, like Sloan is moving towards fire sprays and defenders instead of the interceptors from what I've seen at Worlds. Um, Rebels and Gar obviously have super tanky squads with the V-19s and ARCs 5 and 7 hull, respectively, for Gar. And then Rebels, you know, if they're doing rogues, they've got 6 hull YTs if they're doing generics. Big Spalls with, you know, New Hera. Have seen a resurgence, five hall, and then they've got the braces from Jan as well as Intel. And then I know it seems a bit silly to complain because everyone always does it, but we've got three, three, four, and five in CIS in terms of squad hall. And the five, the one that you would want, right, the Belbel Lab, to be that tanky, you know, mixture where it's decent against ships, decent against squads, tanky, bring a couple, it tosses the blue against ships. So. Yeah, you can bring like one, maybe two for anti-squad duties and, you know, help with relay, but that's 15, 30 points you're not spending on anti-ship. Man, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty damning evidence against CIS squads. Man, it's like, geez, I don't know what we, what we can do. Armchair, what do you think? 
Uh, well, I'm I'm just looking at the the data from from our our spreadsheets, and yeah, the not counting pre worlds, we had some success in the 41 to 60, like the six vulture range. It was uh, second at the St. Lawrence, uh, second in the VWC, second at the Polish World Qualifiers. You had somebody come in third at the LSO and fourth in the UK Nationals with the I wonder who that was. Yeah. Who I was that? I don't know. I don't have. I don't have names. I don't have names. It- um, it was me. It was Fox. <laughs> no, no, he 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 flies rebels. I thought. No, he was the no. patented Fox Hawk list. That's right. Yeah. No, we're just looking at CIS oh. this time. Fox. It's not. It's not rebels is later. But I see what's going you know, on looking here. At, at the at the world qualifiers, there was ten out of seventeen squad um, lists for CIS that had zero squads, and three of those ten moved uh, moved into day two. There was one uh, that had you know four vultures moved into day two. And there was uh, one that had 81 to 100. He had a mixture of vultures and tries plus DBS. And he moved into day two. And everybody else, you know, with like, uh, there's somebody with 120-ish points of squads, finished 37th, uh, 31st, 41, 66 with uh, six tries or tries and hyenas. So it really does, I mean, you know, you, you you can have success by putting your points into your CIS ships, which we know punch hard and do well. Uh, you can put in a little bit of points into a screen and get some, get some success out of it. But I, I, you know, I got to agree with Kaloran um, and, and Damon, you know, the, the, the pushing I think is really what's, what's holding us back. What do you got, Damon? So I do want to say um, that grievous list with the 82 points in squads, it was DBS, three tri fighters and four vultures. Uh, that's the, it was a grievous fleet did, Decently on day two, um, didn't make it to day three. Obviously, none of us separatists did, unfortunate. But it was in what I'd call that mid squad ball range, that sixty to one hundred points. Uh, it was eighty four squads, four squads for eighty points. By the way, that's a ton of you know cheap deployments, which is super helpful with Patriot Fist. Um, but Armchair, maybe you can back me up with some of the stats on this. But a lot of the top eight fleets were not actually full squads, which I didn't quite expect. Um, I think they were there were a couple that were four aces around that like 70 point range. And then a couple that were, you know, six squads or eight squads, but kind of cheap. And they were in that, like not quite 134 range, but also not, you know, just a light screen. It was like that mid squad ball range, which I think, I mean, we Fox has talked about it, but separatists can do that pretty well with a couple vultures, a couple hyenas, right? Just take advantage of the fact that our generics are cheap and we can get six or eight or even 10 squads on the table for less than hundred points. So that's one of the directions I'm excited to take CIS in. Um, because, I mean, obviously, the top players are doing that kind of play, right? Where they're taking a couple of high-powered squads. Like, CS does a very similar thing, but with generics, right? So there's no reason... If someone can figure that out, I feel like that'll be a really strong Separatist list. And, I mean, James was already doing pretty decent, right? With the Grievous thing. So there's so potential where, there. Where, where that... I. I don't disagree, Damon, but where the argument kind of falls apart is that a lot of those guys were either using rogues or they had, again, they had one ship that just pushed all of those squads at once so that they could alpha or reverse alpha you with, you know, and get, while they had a limited squad ball, they could use it all together. Whereas CS just doesn't feel like they have that option. Like I, I, I love some of the CIS uh, uniques, but they just don't have the the staying power and the heavy hitting combo that some of these other factions do. Um, 
I do want to say that the because I, I played him personally, the James McCartney with his he had six squads. He's the obviously the winner. You guys had him on last week. It was a great episode. Um, he was pushing those six squads with his two Gazantes, uh, and it was Merrick Jendon, obviously, which you know CIS can't exactly match. But I mean, it was six squads, and he pushed them in parcels of two, and it was still pretty effective, right? So, I mean, I still agree with you that it's rough, right? You have like two options in the fleet, and sorry, in CIS to push those five vultures if you're taking five vultures or whatever anti-squads you're taking. But at the same time, I feel like there is a play style where you can make that work. I know Fox has been tinkering with separatist squads. Maybe you can add something as well. But if you can kind of manage that, I've got a couple different, you know, either a couple different balls of squads or a couple different, you know, mobile units that can operate from whatever squadron pusher I want to use this turn, there's something solid to be found there. So, yeah, I wanted to get everybody's opinions in front of me before I said anything. <laughs> As a guy that's run separatist squads for a little bit now, I think I think what a lot of people miss is, so for the same reason why Martuk doesn't do as much as you'd like him to as far as brace brackets are concerned, um, it's the reason why vultures are so good is they will often hit that three damage brace bracket very, very consistently. Um, there, there's not a lot of whiffing, and especially when you can modulate the dice pool, like Kellerin was talking about, um, to add a blue or a black, uh, especially if you're using flight controllers, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of opportunity to hit those brace brackets. And so a lot of the defensive, like if you're hitting three damage on two vulture activations, that's one more damage, and that arc is dead or Merrick is dead. That's three vultures you're pushing, and they're trading up in their value immensely. Uh, that's what a lot of people miss. Um, <laughs> armchair. Ar- For our listeners, we have a chat box on the right-hand side, and Armchair wants to talk, and now he's putting me on blast. Armchair, what do you want to I'm say, not, dude? <laughs> I'm not putting you on blast. You're, you're letting people peek behind the curtain, man. This isn't the Wizard of Oz. I'm so um, sorry. <laughs> I was just—I was going to reply to uh, to Damon and, and Channel Miner Fox and the the squad balls for the top eight lists at um, at Worlds were um, and in order from uh, eight up to um, eight up to one were 106, 129, 118. 132, 106, 62, 134, and 95. So fairly, and, and the, uh, like that top list you mentioned has a mixture of like, you know, uh, Myrick and Jendon are, are pretty tight, but then it was Valen and Sienna. Um, obviously the, the, the Gar ball with um, Axe, Anakin, and a bunch of Beatles is, is awful. The 62 was just Sienna, Valen, Tell, and a Lambda. Um, and then you've got a bunch of fire sprays in there. You've got a bunch of like, uh, Ghost and Falcon, Sato's Hammer, Y Wings, lots of uh, YTs. So, you know, yeah, it, it it does have that kind of that bulk to it, and there's a few sort of finesse slash um, tough to take down, tough to get at uh, squads. Excellent. Yeah. So there there were a lot more fleets that had 100 plus than uh, I, I thought. I remembered there being a, a few, but um. Yeah, so I was talking about brace brackets. What, what what I want to say is in that last game that I played in the LCQ, I was up against Justin Curtis. He had uh he had 10 
rebel squads in his fleet versus my four vultures. And I was able to trade up those four vultures to like double or triple their worth by, uh, by playing separatist squads the way that I know that I, I, I'm well aware at this point they should be played by utilizing obstruction, by, by overlapping uh, flak, by, by planning out your activation, by, by prioritizing singular targets before you move on, by not spreading damage, by, by only engaging one target at a time so that your opponent has to move them. Um, there's just all these little rules that people know and like they, you generally learn them through playing squads, but the margin is so much thinner and I actually enjoy it. I enjoy like, man, I got to get this right or it's all going to go wrong. So I don't know. I think there's a lot to, to do and, and that can be done. I've seen separatist squads absolutely wipe a Sloan player. I've seen separatist squads absolutely wipe rebel rogues i've also seen them get their ass handed to them by those same lists so i don't know i i i'm i guess i'm I'm gonna have to continue playing them so that i can convince people that they're actually uh worth taking i just want to agree about separatist flak combined with those vultures or you know whatever anti-squad being amazing and get on my soapbox a second for uh counter specifically tri-fighters because counter one will put a lot of squads within one shot range of ldt like I think LTT, if you're doing it from Muni, is red and two black. It averages just under three. But if that three health squad took one damage from counter, it's basically guaranteed dead. And also there were tons of times at Worlds where my vultures, you know, from sitting on a rock, you can see it on stream if you go watch the Ion Radio, my the round two game against Sam. Uh, two vultures run a rock, they jump forward, they combine with the Muni LTT flak, kill one of his fire sprays, and then tie up his Merrick, I believe. No, it was either Merrick or Vader. But then they have to spend a round back there instead of bombing, dealing with the vultures, right? Which, of course, have already... Re- and then the other ones have already respawned from RHD, right? They're ready to go tie up other squads. Like, if you can do that and then just toss a couple hyenas in there, ugh, but then you have to actually play squads and practice and get good at them. And it's so much easier just to ugh. play Patriot Fist. It's awful. Throw a bunch of I dice. Hate it. Ugh. So where do you think the um, the aces kind of factor in here? Because look, looking at the data... There was somebody with uh, a few aces in the the forty one to sixty range, and then obviously you know the eighty to one hundred and the one hundred one plus range. They had some aces, but if you look at the the squad balls you see from all the other factions, you see at least you know one, two, three, all four aces, even in moderate um, you know in moderate squad ball point ranges. So what's 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 missing there, and what um, you know how how does that factor in? Excellent point of discussion here. Um, what I found is separatist squads are different from all other factions in many ways, but the way you build the ball is probably the most important difference because in the other factions, typically you start by filling your four ace, your four aces. Um, if you're going to build Sloan or really any Imperial uh, squadron uh, wing, you're going to start by filling your four ace slots. But in, in in Separatists, you are literally going to build, if you're doing like a full squad, like 134, you're going to build all of it with generics. And then you work backward. You say, okay, I have 134 points in squads. That ends up being, I don't know, eight vultures and six six hyenas. Is it worth removing two vultures and a hyena to get 
Flak Afrock in there? Is it worth uh, a vulture and a hyena to get DIS in there? And, and that's the way you need to approach constructing a a separatist fleet because, like Damon said earlier, those all of those individual deployments help out the separatist ships so much when you can kind of overlap all of your arcs really, really early on one target, but because your deployment's a whole lot better, it makes a huge difference. And so I think that's what a lot of people get wrong. And that's probably why, you know, the only separatist ace we saw on day two was DBS 404. And it's because that fleet, that Grievous fleet had already built out uh, its, its squad complement and then worked backward and said, Hmm, what if I throw in 404 just for S's and G's, you know, I, I think that's, that's what a lot of people need to, really get in the practice of doing if you want to do separatist squads right. That that's for, for Siths and Gars, you mean? For Siths and Gars. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, I mean I I just want to agree with Fox. That's basically the same way I've built my low squad balls, which is just, okay, here is my four or six, and do I have the points left over? Or is it even worth investing these points left over into the aces? Or would those points be better spent on more upgrades for my ships or just on bid? Um and then it kind of runs into the problem Kelwern brought up earlier with the activations, right? Is if you are building that backwards, sometimes you do at the point where it's, okay, I've got eight vultures and six hyenas, and, oh, wait, I can only activate eight squads. Let's trim some of this down. And then you're choosing, okay, do I go down to a couple aces to kind of consolidate power, or do I just try to stick with generics and use the extra points for my ships, which I know Fox has talked about before, running like, you know, what was it, 124 in squads, but it feels like a 134? Oh, dude, yeah, it punches way above its weight, uh, especially getting uh, you know flight controllers in there. And also, you get to the point when you build enough of these large balls, like you know the play style and 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 what aces you want in there. Like whenever I build a new squad ball, the first ace I put in there is DFS, one hundred percent of the time. And I know a lot of people don't. They're like, I don't understand. Well, he's not that great. He doesn't have any cool abilities. Flak Afrox way better. DIS is way better. When you're flying that many squads and the squad hole values are so thin and the margin is so thin, Intel is a godsend. Um, I cannot stress this enough. At some point, I'm going to have to write down all these little rules for separatist squads so that people can really start to grasp it if they want to get better at it. But, um, Man, I I just cannot emphasize those types of things enough. Like, Kellorn, what what do you got? I got one last thing to say before we probably need to move on, but I just want to say real quick that of the factions, the CIS is the most dependent on what I kind of call a combined arms mentality of their squads plus their flak power, and that's where. I feel like if you can force the CIS ships to shoot at your ships and not at your squads with the, the flak, that's where it, it starts to break down. Um, but that is a perfect segue into what I've been curious about for a while. And, uh, and I want to feel out Fox and Damon on this, but is the star frigate, the linchpin of the faction and, why is it that you basically see that and Patriot Fist and then something else from there? 
So I can I can go, I guess, because I used to run a Providence, and honestly, I thought it was pretty good. I ran a Providence with Kraken, and then the Munificent had DCAPs and HIEs because it was a comms frigate. Um, and then eventually I swapped over. I think it's kind of the reverse, where people will start with Patriot Fizz, because at this point, everyone it's at everyone's head. Like, okay, you're building a Separatist list, you bring Requisite, you bring Patriot Fist. Duh. And then you have that, and you're like, okay, well, now where's my Admiral going to go? Because you don't want to put the Admiral in Patriot Fist unless you're going to be super careful with it because it's pretty fragile. And at that point, it's going to be worth about 120, 130 points if you're loading it up. Maybe even more if you're doing the whole Swivels build, which is a lot of points to lose because people are going to target Patriot Fist. It's what you got to do. Uh, and so they say, okay, what's where can I put my Admiral? And the Thermal PDIC Munificent, it sits right there and it says, I'm tanky. I'll keep your Admiral safe. And I'll contribute to the fight, too, because I've got red dice, and I've got Watt Tambor and can repair, so I won't die easily. And I can push squads, I can flack, I can do everything you want, and I may not be the best at it, right? I'm not as efficient flacker as, say, some of the other ships in other factions, or maybe, you know, just an LTT battle hard cell. I may not be as good as damage at the P as PF or as Providence, but I'll get the job done for you. And I'll only cost, you know, maybe 100 points if you're doing all the upgrades. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think um, the Separatist faction needed a flagship that can stay on the board. I think that's the big part, is the Providence is going to want to jump in and be a part of the scrum. And the Patriot Fist is, or Recusants rather, are, are very, very fragile. And hard cells are small ships, and it's really... It doesn't feel great to put your Admiral on that. And so having a medium ship that that has the right upgrade suite to land all of the, the main defensive upgrades and having two titles that are just so good, so good at being defensive, um, I, I think it's become the natural selection for most uh, for, for most uh, players in the Separatist faction is you get that the great double arcing capacity, it's an offensive threat. It can stay on the board. Um, yeah, it's got so many things going for it. So here's a question for you regarding the flagship. Now, if, if I'm an Imperial, I might pull off a Raider one, give it Corvus and pop my Admiral on there. And there's my lifeboat, right? If I'm, um, if I'm a rebel, I might take a, a CR 90, a Jaina's light TRC, put my Admiral on it. And there's a lifeboat. Why? Why not do that with hard cell transport in a CIS fleet? And, and you do. Like if you're playing TF, you're almost forced into it. I feel because if you're going to play TF, you're likely going to do something like uh, like a Patriot Fist and a Commons Frigate, or a, uh, a Providence and a, and a Commons Frigate because you're looking for those offensive retrofit slots. And once you switch away from the Star Frigate. You really don't want to be putting, you're going to be throwing that Providence into places you really don't want your Admiral on it. You're going to be, uh, the, the comms forget no longer has thermals, so it's not very tanky. And like, I feel like when I'm playing TF, I almost have to do the hard sell lifeboat. But then at the same time, you're like, okay, well, I also want it, I, I need that activation to do other things too. So I, it, it becomes difficult because all of a sudden it can't just be a lifeboat because it's too expensive for that. Yes, I would agree there. I had a Martuk fleet once where I put him on that hard sell, but a supporting hard sell in CIS typically has, you know, maybe protection experts or parts resupply or even beast of burden. And all those require being in range of your ships 
and it's lowering your own defensive capacity, right? Either by spending your own shields through projection or through spending your own tokens through Beast of Burden. And then both those ships that you listed armchair have speed four and can dart out, whereas the hard cell is speed three and has one die out the side, so it can't even fight back if you're trying to fly kind of sideways, which is a bit unfortunate. But according to Fox, it's good for balance reasons because of Martuk. So, <laughs> Yeah, according to me. And I, I stand by it. So we were, we're talking about the Muni Star Frigate in particular. So going back to our, our list of lists, there were a total of 14 Muni Star Frigates in our pre-world bundle. There were zero Com Frigates. There were only two in the in all the five fleets at the LCQ. There were only two Star Frigates. Zero Comms Frigates. frigates. Uh, 19 and 3 in day one, and that went down to 5 and 2 on day two. So... And I also, I tried to pull together and my, my Excel foo kind of let me down a little bit, but I tried to kind of find a way to scrape my data and find like this, this idea of the standard star frigate that I'd, I'd been seeing as I typed in all these lists. And that's, you know, it's a star frigate with projection experts, uh, ECM or thermals, PDIC and link turbo laser towers. And uh, I, I don't have a, a raw stat on that, but you know, it's, the number was high. There, there was a lot of them, and that that build, like like you guys were alluding to, that build is just a good solid collection of upgrades on a good solid hull that can get a lot done. Yeah, and then you can add either the titles to it. Uh, you've got the support team for. I mean, you can keep it blank if you want to keep it cheaper. But I put med team on there, which saved a couple damage throughout the tournament. That was really crucial. Um, you can put ox shield teams. I know it's popular. Just repair turn one, and all of a sudden you've got two more shields. Uh, you can put engine text and just say, actually, I'm not going to get stuck in front of you. I'm just going to slip away in the last second. Or, no, I'm not going to get left out of this fight. I'm going to speed three, jump on in. There's a lot of options for it. Yeah. And uh, I looked at sort of all the, the CIS uh, ships. There were there were no Providence Dreadnoughts at all. Only a handful of uh, Providence Carriers. And uh, Recusant Lights vastly outnumbered the Recusant Supports. Um and the hard cell transports hugely outnumbered the hard cell battle refits, except on day two when that when that flipped. All four of the hard cell battle refits got into day two, and only two of the transports did. And that's because there were people were taking TF, and TF likes the the battle transport because again you can put the B seven rocket troopers on it. I love the battle refit. Like I think it's nice. Is a bit too little for the cost, but when you combine that with LTT and Flak and Reserve Hangar Deck, like that thing is just amazing tool in the cis fleets like i love using it to kill enemy squads while also popping three red dice in an enemy ship um and then so with the comms frigates in providence actually i want to bring up uh another separatist fleet i saw at worlds mirko lang was flying tf with it um i fought him in the last round on day two and it was two comms frigates two gazantes and a providence uh and i mean he made it to day two right was at uh a pretty high table round three before he so like he was doing well with the fleet right? But then facing my fleet, you know, obviously Dooku plays into this, but I could just kill his comms frigate for free. And when his Providence turned off, his Providence tried to chase down my hard cells. And then once it did, the, he didn't get the hard cell and then he couldn't do anything else because it's a Providence. It couldn't turn back into the fight. And it was just tossing up a red dice at my Munificent, which was obviously just going to shrug it off, repair it away. Um, and he managed to get one of the comms frigates out of there with a nice navigate. But if I had blocked that in, I would have killed both comms frigates relatively easily, and the um, 
the Providence wouldn't have been able to contribute as much just because of the way the match took out. So it's a tough, tough fleet to fly. So speaking from my experience of flying TF with the Providence, I, I, I think that TF really, really likes the carrier. But the problem is that I, that I ran into is that I often was getting the full side dice on the Providence of two reds, two blues, and two blacks. But the two blacks were coming from TF, not from the native dice. So I was using TF as a way to like give me close range at medium range with the Providence. And that's okay, but that's not the way, like that doesn't win you the game is what I found. Um, and so like, it, it's interesting to me that I was, I was more often seeing TF used as a way to like prop up the, the Providence's dice pools rather than enhance it. But Fox, I think that about does it for our, our ships here. I think we need to talk about rapid reinforcements too, for a second. And what does the CIS need in rapid reinforcements too? And what does it really want? And why are those different? Yeah, they are different. Um, I think, so what separatists want is they want a fast ship or they want a a highly defensive commander or they want a squadron that has like 15 different keywords apparently. <laughs> I don't think anyone agrees on what specific keyword that squad needs to have, that ace needs to have, but apparently everyone agrees that it needs to have, like that it's got to, it's got to have strategic and escort and um, this and that, and it's got to have a great ability for less than 30 points. And it's like, okay, well, we're not going to get that. I think what we do need is we need, um, in my opinion, we do need a squad, and I think it doesn't need to have strategic. It, in my mind, it can't have strategic. I think our ability to leverage yellows will go through the roof, and uh, bidding for second will will just be outrageous. But I do think with the potentially Watt Tambor squad, I think having the capacity to move damage around, not exactly like bigs, like a bigs ball, but because of the low hull squads, I think utilizing Watt's ability similar to what he does on a ship, like his officer on a ship, I think that could get separatist balls to survive long enough to finish out fights that they push into. I think uh, maybe having an escort or, or something along those lines, but not anything crazy and uh, maybe some type of officer but i haven't really thought that hard about that damon what do you or armchair what do you think we'll get to damon next okay so this is and this is literally just based off the things that we have been talking about tonight but how about a squadron either a a rogue like a, a native rogue something in like the five hull range for you know somewhere in the the yt price range or a a hera like squad that can give rogue uh, because then you can see stuff like um, Ooh. HSBs, things like that come into, into play. Right? And, and a fairly simple thing to add uh, a commander that maybe has a 
Eulerian type ability where my tokens boost my ability to push squads because now that overcomes a bit of the struggle we've been talking about. Uh, how do I how do I push all these stupid things? Um, and then you know if we were going to look into like a new ship or something like that, something that goes speed four. Yeah, I mean, people have said that uh, Delta Anakin was the missing piece for Gar to really kick their squads in the high gear. Uh, I don't know if it would do the same for CIS, but I do think something that gave Rogue or made, you know, Sand Hill or HSB, you know, usable would be pretty fun. Uh, I personally want another small, just because I'm tired of running exclusively hard cells. Because, uh, I, you know, I love Hammerheads, I love CR90s and Consolers, and I love Demo. So if it's a black dice small, or if it's something, you know, with a couple side arc dice, but has some other crippling something else that cripples it because Fox says we can't have more than two red dice at the side. I don't care. Just give me something besides the terrible Gazanti and a hard sell. That's less than 60 points, which we're not going to get, but you know, the squad will be fun. Dare to dream. I guess, you know, I mean, it's, this is beyond the kind of the rapid reinforcements type of thing, but I, when I was talking earlier about, you know, just b- being able to push a, you know, a good number of squads, I, I keep can't help but think that if we ever see a CIS Lucre Hulk, even if it's just a large and not a huge ship, if it had the ability to push six squads, you know, with an upgrade or something, I think that that could be a pretty nasty way for the for the CIS squad game to kind of kick it into high gear. The Providence can already do that. But does it have triple die flak and like seven different hull zones with four red dice each? <laughs> We're not talking Commander about the homebrew versions. <laughs> and, and, and Commander Wat Tambour lets you turn your hull into sh- or your shields into hull. Oh my god, a hull, a sixty hull lucre hulk. <laughs> yeah, well, don't worry, it's balanced because it's got a really thin front arc that has like double damage if you hit it, and like no shields because you know you can just shoot through the center of the giant ball in the middle. Ooh, and if you fly an A-Wing in there, it blows up. No, no, it's got to be an N1. They don't exist yet. Ha ha. Ha ha ha. <laughs> you have to you say, have any... now, this is pod racing while you do it. Otherwise, just <laughs> you can call the judge and say, hey, actually, judge. you know, this, this die roll doesn't count. They didn't say. So, Fox, did you have anything to add here, or do we should we move on to our favorite segment? Nope. I got, uh, I mean, I've got tons of things to say about CIS, and I've already said a lot of it. Uh, Damon cited a lot of the things that I've said in the past already, so... Um, I, I'm, I'm good. I, I think there's just a lot to talk about and it's a lot of exciting. It's an exciting time to be a separatist player. Now that Tuke, the fool of a Tuke has been knocked off his, his ginormous unearned throne. So, so uh, just very quickly before we move on, can I get an opinion from Fox Damon and armchair? Do you think that the CIS is in a position that it can compete at a high level in the near future? Yes or no? Yes. Yes, with the stipulation that I think it's very difficult to compete with a lot of the top eight fleets and players I saw. Um, Maybe it's just, you know, my play style. I mentioned I like to go fast, but they played with a very intense level of precision uh, with their ships that I'm not seeing out of a lot of CIS players. And I'm not, this isn't to dock the players. I'm, I'm more looking at CIS as a faction and thinking, well, for a lot of our firepower is coming from Patriot Fist, which is a fragile ship right? And then our hard cells, right, they're tanky, but they're also not amazing with dice. It's difficult to compete with that. 
So, I mean, absolutely, I think go out, win tournaments. We had seen them win tournaments, right? Um, but I do think we need to kind of experiment, plumb the faction a bit more to get to that uh, next world's level. So I'm excited to go in and play all these new commanders and fleets and get back to experimenting. Yes, but it's going to take somebody uh, honing honing in instead of thinking that they can just drum someone over the head with Patriot Fist, which is where the faction is right now. Surely I'll get them next year. Surely this time they won't blow up Patriot Fist by round two. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, Fox, do you want to lead us straight into hot takes? Straight into the sweaty, moist, um, lots of condensation hot takes. Did you forget the deodorant or something? This is uncomfortable. <laughs> I need an That's- adult. I know it's oh. been warm recently, but it's not that warm. Uh, well, it kind of is down here. It's going to be 90 degrees on uh, Saturday oh, yeah, down here in, in uh, Austin. So, yeah, All right. turn, I can't relate. I, really I don't know what that means, but it was like a nice 10 degrees out today in the sun, so it's great. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Anyways, Xantos, here we go. Your hot take. Armada should have a speed chess rule with slap clocks to combat slow players. How do you feel about this? Ugh, as funny as it would be just to hear slapping back and forth between the squad match, um, I'm going to have to say no. Um, I think where this take comes from is Armada is a timed game, but it's also, you know, there's a lot of decisions, it's a very stressful game. And if you are the player that's playing fast, right, it can feel bad when your opponent is then, you know, taking their time on the decisions, and it feels like they're getting more time to make those decisions, and you're not because you want to finish the game. That said, I mean, all my matches went, they finished. Um, I know some people have had, in you know, weird matchups where it's MSU versus MSU and they both have 134, they don't finish. Um, and that feels bad, but I don't think this is a big enough issue to implement that kind of change. I think it's, I mean, I never had to call a judge about it and all the judges, you know, that have talked about it on Discord or on, you know, in person have just said, yeah, call us over or make a sign, we'll see. We'll do our best. Uh, I don't think it's that big of an issue that I've seen. And, you know, online play is completely different. But even though online play games take a while, like still, I'm not taking, you know, five hours to play a game. So I don't see an issue. Armchair, what do you think? Uh, No, I agree. Um, And thinking back at at St. Lawrence, we had a very, very tight schedule because of when the tournament started and when the, the venue was going to close. And so it was two hours and 15 minutes hard stop. And I only think out of all the people, and we had something like 30 or 40 people there, I think, but we had a single game that didn't finish. It had to be, had to stop before round six. Every other game finished within that two hours and 15 minute time span. And there were, a, you know, there's the whole gamut of fleets. So I don't, yeah, I, I agree. As, as funny as that might sound to be, you know, sitting there in a, in a Armada tournament and you hear slap, 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 slap everywhere. Um, but no, I don't think, I don't think that's necessary. Paul. I, I think it's one of those things where you, if you have one bad experience with a slow player, it kind of ha- magnifies in your brain. So a couple of years ago, we had a, match that happened at the very first TXO and it was a superstar destroyer playing a superstar destroyer. 
And for some reason, that game only made it to turn three. And that is just unacceptable. And it, it like when you see something like that happen, it makes you reach for the giant hammer, which don't get me wrong, like going to speed clocks, uh, chess clocks in, uh, in Armada, it, it's a giant hammer trying to bash that out of the game. But that's why it's, that's why people bring it up. But I also think that it doesn't happen as often as you think it's just magnified in your brain when it does happen. And we have enough to worry about. I mean, Armada is complicated enough with all the different tools and things going on. And then I want to ask Fox, cause you were watching the top tables like a Hawk during day three. Uh, were any of those matches like being especially slow, even with, you know, all the stakes in the line? No. Um, I think the only remotely close to slow play I would say that I saw was top table round three. Uh, and that was, that was streamed. And I think everyone is aware of why. And that's because every movement of those onagers like determined the outcome of the game and everybody knew it and both players knew it and they were extremely intentional. So no, I, I there, there was no slow play intentional play. Yes, but slow. No, not really. I think to just, you know, remember to be, try to be generous with, with people that you're playing with because maybe they're new to the game. Maybe they're trying to try something that they're not as familiar with. Maybe they're encountering something that they're not familiar with and we're all, we're all here to have fun. Right. So don't, don't try not to, in a tournament I get, you know, you, you got to get done in a certain amount of time and, and that can really affect things. But I, I try to, I try to give people the, the benefit of the doubt whenever possible. I think that's great advice. All right. I am going to read the next one for Kalorn. All right, you ready, man? Killorn, Always. make it so rogues cannot be activated via squad commands. This is like ghost pepper hot, right? Uh, and I think it has to do with the fact that we see how many, you know, especially rebel rogue fleets are out there and doing well. And this turns into kind of an issue when you can do things like, I'm going to Adar Lando and then he's going to hit you in the squad phase again, and I'm going to kill a your flotilla, and there's literally nothing you can do about it. And I think that that's, again, where we get to this idea of, like, are rogues too good? And I, I think that rogues are are really, really good, but they're also really, really expensive. So if you were to nerf them like this, you would again have to adjust their points to make up for it. And, you know, it's not going to bring them down to like the equivalent of that squad without rogue. But at the same time, like you can't be paying the premium for a, a rogue squad and then not be able to activate it. So I, I think this is super spicy. I but I think that it fundamentally changes the game in a way that isn't just a quick fix. Damon, what do you think? I mostly agree with what Kalorn was saying. Um I also think it's actually pretty cool when people activate their rogues with a squad command, um, especially if the other player doesn't see it coming. I think it's one of those like cool moments, and maybe not everyone thinks it's super cool, but it's pretty funny when it's like, oh, you paid for the rogue, I'm going to activate it anyways, and you know, pull the rug out under you. And it's kind of cool to see that happen sometimes. Uh, but yeah, I agree that ADAR is kind of the, the one that pushes that against, right? Because you're activating the rogue, you're getting all the benefits of having a commanded squadron, and then all the benefits of being rogue. And we can stack that with an amazing squad like Lando or Ketsu or, you know, whoever you're tossing, you know, it multiplies. It's amazing, but it's one squad 
and Adar's 10 points. So just kill the flotilla and get your 40 points. So what what if I, I do, I do agree with uh with Kaloran on this one, but what if I, I threw some yogurt on your on your ghost pepper there and said, what if you can activate them during the squad phase, but it's like a reverse AI. Like whatever attack you do, if it's an anti-squad attack, maybe you lose one die, maybe two die. If you do it in the an anti-ship attack, um, I don't know, most of them are, are single die rogues anyway. But you know, if if you lost a, an anti-squad die in, as a rogue, or maybe they move slower, um, something like that, you know, would that plus the rogue tax. And I, and I think a lot of this too kind of fingers wind up getting pointed at YT 2400s and Lando's and not so much at fire sprays or YV 666 or, you know, um, aggressors, aggressors. Yeah. Or, uh, what are the, what are the gar and cis rogues? Um, you know, so okay. Oh yeah, is it, is the it... ones that don't exist. <laughs> exactly. So, like, what 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 was the problem we're trying to solve? Are we trying to solve a problem with rogues, or is it a problem with the this faction has got some very strong rogues and some very strong synergies with those rogues, and that's where the problem's at. Yeah, and what I want to say about this is, if the problem is Adar and Lando, if you do that, um, Lando now has no braces. And he's just a regular seven hole generic, essentially. Like that, there's inherent risk involved in that combo. So, um, I'm not convinced. This is why this you is don't take asteroid tactics versus Lando. Okay, we don't need to bring that up. <laughs> we don't need to bring that up. But anyways, I've learned That's my lesson. Okay. <laughs> You only make that mistake once. Uh, So we're going to stay on the rogue kick and armchair. What if you could only take two rogue squadrons at 400 points? I think, I think that's a little bit too spicy for me. I think that there are certain play styles that need that rogue element to it. I imagine like if you take your, your Kraken wing and you've got your, your, your squad ball that you want to take with that. And you can only take, two rogues then you've got to downgrade one of your other ships to be a a squadron pusher um i was thinking about that today and what what if i'd go maybe three three at 400 because and and again you know my, my thoughts immediately go to the faction with the with the chonky rogues but if i take three yt 2400s hera and two a wings that's roughly the same point as those six 2400s and now there's a little bit more, you know, squishiness to it. There's a little more, um, you know, there's some seams that you can get into as an opposing player that maybe you can get some some points back. You can disrupt it a little bit easier. And and that might be a better way. But again, I mean, you know, the the are, are four fire sprays a problem? Are, you know, four aggressors ever a problem? And, you know, so... Yeah, I, I, I think I think any all these fixes are are good, but they seem to only really, really affect a certain kind of playstyle in a certain faction. And I don't know that blanket fixes are the right way to go for that. Damon. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. It's really just the rebel YT twenty four hundred builds where it's five or six rogues, one GR seventy five pushing the two non rogues and maybe Lando with Adar at one point or Ketsu, and then the rest of the ships can just go off and do whatever because the YTs will fly around. 
Um, I think it's a YT air quotes problem, if you want to call it a problem. Because uh, I know it's not super fun when the enemy fleet can just kind of fly away and let the squad's plank pick up whatever small ship you have, get a 7-4. But I don't think many people are playing like that anyways. Now, full, full disclosure, I, I was playing like that for a little while, so and, and it was fun. But oh, so you're the enemy. I, I well, I, complain about. I guess so. I mean, but uh, I was I was certainly part of the problem, but I would <laughs> I would be happy to have a balanced solution. Just stay within flak range for a couple of turns. That's all I ask. That's usually my problem. I didn't I didn't say I was any good at it. I just said I did it. All right, Fox, are you ready for this? I think so. Coffee is an F tier beverage. This one, coffee is an F tier beverage. This one bothers me because as someone who needs caffeine in their life, there, this is obviously said by someone who um, doesn't, has never felt the joy, the rush of, of, of caffeine, who, who hasn't haven't come to, to appreciate the flavors See, and, and and this is coming from someone who interacted with and hung out with um, Card Problems and Captain Awesomer, uh, two of the judges uh, at Worlds, and both of them told me that they don't drink any type of caffeine, and I I feel like a lesser human uh, because I know that, and I uh, I don't know. It makes me feel. It, it makes me feel inferior. Like that, they're these are superior human beings, and who am I to say that uh, coffee is is better than F tier? I'll drink it. If they don't want to drink it, I'll drink it. So that's where I'm at. Not to rub it in, but I I don't like the taste of coffee, and I wake up at six thirty to teach every day. Don't and I'm fine with just water. No, so. stop. Don't. Oh my. Don't rub it in, armchair. If you tell me you don't drink coffee. I, I had three coffees yesterday. Okay, good. Oh, I could get through my day. I, I believe I believe coffee is an <laughs> F tier beverage. It is a Fox tier beverage. Ooh, wait, is that good or bad? Just go with it, man. Okay, got it. Okay. Um, and and frankly, I don't know if we should trust the judgments of judges who don't drink coffee. Because how do we know how alert they are? How do we know how on top of the game they are if they're not caffeinated? Right, I I am someone who has accepted caffeine into my life as my lord and savior, and I bow down before its greatness, and I I enjoy my coffee every morning. So does my wife. It's something that we do together, and I have my little my little squirt bottles of sauce next to it that I can just kind of flavor it with, and it's it's just one of the best parts of my day. I would trust that non-caffeinated judge before I trust the judge whose hand is shaking so much because they had their giant Starbucks cup and are also carrying around their thermos of whatever espresso they need just to make it through the first four hours of the day, let alone the afternoon. And they're going to hands to shake so much. They're going to nudge all of my ships out of the arc. And I swear I had a double arc before they nudged it. That's rough. That's that's rough. I, I'm going to jump on the I don't drink coffee bandwagon here because I oh loathe God. the taste. Oh, what is man. going on? This is that bad. said. Okay. I have also accepted caffeine as my lord and savior. I just drink it in the form of diet soda in the morning because I need caffeine to function. I just can't stand the taste of coffee. So I'm like half seas on this. Okay, so oh, man. Don't, don't kill me. I, I've, I, I knew it was drank, too good to be true. I haven't drank caffeinated. We call it pop in my world. 
I'm drinking caffeinated pop in the morning since I was like in my 20s. And just the thought of it conjures up that that gut feeling that I used to get. Oh, don't get me wrong. I'm also chowing down on a couple of omeprazole in the morning, but we won't go there. Like, <laughs> I, I will say that I just got done watching Karnak's video uh, about Adepticon and the dude got like very little sleep of uh, over the course of that entire week. So if he didn't have coffee, I don't know how he functioned. You just got done watching it. We've been doing a podcast this whole time. What the heck? No, 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 what no, are no, you no. doing? Rude. I, I watched it yesterday, dude. Oh. We're having an HR meeting after the podcast. Yes, I'm to calling, talk about I'm this calling Betty at thing. HR. Look, I'm not I'm not even playing a game tonight, which I have done on a previous podcast. So, you know, I, I found that that, that is, decreases the quality of our product. So I'm not going to do that anymore. Do I need to attend that HR meeting? I'm running a bit low on jokes and script to send yeah. you guys. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. I, I, look, Damon's been roasting Fox in the chat the entire time here, guys. I just wish that he's been roasting Fox quite just as hard in the actual episode. The chat is actually where I'm sending all you guys your lines, uh, just for those <laughs> at home, so they know it's entirely scripted. <laughs> I wish this wasn't true. I wish this wasn't true. Well, Damon, it has been great having you on the show. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, do keep up with the the random jokes about us, because uh, I, I think I was literally crying. I was laughing so hard the first time you did that. Uh, always happy to talk about you guys i mean the podcast has been great i i love listening and i'm not the only one who you know puts it on every weekend even when i'm not driving uh it's great love what you guys have done for the scene so yeah all too happy to hang out thanks you guys for having me so much on it's been a ton of fun i've been cracking up while being muted trying not to ruin the audio so it's been a blast Cool. Yeah, we thanks just have for, the, thanks for coming. We now have the dry jokes from Armchair, which I I, I got a, a message from somebody this week of like, how does Armchair keep a straight face as he t- says all this crap on it? And I'm like, I have no idea, man. I couldn't do it. it, it it's radio, man. I can have whatever face I want. Fair point. I've been furiously rewatching all the episodes, trying to master his voice for the for the script. Oh, I can't wait! I can't wait. Do me next. Do me next. <laughs> So, Fox, next week, uh, I believe we have a guest lined up to talk about the state of MSU. Can you give us a little preview? Oh, I haven't talked to them yet, so this will be a surprise if they listen. Surprise! But I'll it's be a re- second Fox <laughs> Omega. <laughs> I only reached out to I only reached out to Nick and Damon. I'm sorry, works works been a little crazy, but uh, I I will be reaching out to Jason Diedrich probably immediately after this episode, so it's not embarrassing. Um, it's happening right now when it comes out i'm typing it right now as we speak right after kellorn finishes this video that uh that karnak put out so um oh shut up <laughs> so but yeah we we want to talk about uh msu we want to talk about the state we, we uh and get him to talk to all of us here so not just me so um, cause a lot of, a lot of MSU occurred at worlds and a lot of them did very, very well. So, um, yeah, we'll see how that goes. I'm going to try if he, turns you guys down, too. if he turns you guys down, I can just also re-listen to the episode and copy his voice, do some script writing for you guys. Yeah. Just give me a call. It's nice to have like an ace in our pocket. Can, can we just change his name to doppelganger? Good Lord. Yes. Yes, we can. You're the you're the Discord mod, man. Yeah, I'm about to say you, li- you literally <laughs> can do <true>. that. <laughs> like, like while you're watching the, the Karnak video, you can be doing that too. Why not? 
<laughs> Speaking of Discord, I, I did want to put uh, to say something. Uh, you know, last week uh, several of you noticed that we had changed over to uh, we kind of rebranded the Discord um, to talk uh, to the Armada Hub uh, to reflect the fact that we are kind of more we're about more than just playing Armada on Tabletop Simulator, and so we've seen a large influx of players. Uh, we've seen a lot of people talking about a lot of different things and uh, honestly hot takes channel that was spawned by some people saying some random stuff in the separatist channel from with uh, uh, some serious, uh, you know, I think Damon, you were part of that spawning of that channel. That's become a huge thing and a huge kind of central area of the, of the, the new Armada hub. So we hope that you guys can join us there and discuss not just uh, Armada online, but Armada in any format that you choose to, to, to play. That being said, I think we need to get out of here because we've been here for an hour and a half again. And so see you next week when we talk about some MSU. Fly safe. Thank you for listening to the Armada Podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, keep up with the show on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter at Armada Podcast. Join us on Discord with the link in the show notes. Until next time.